1: Hey, Brian, good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. It's an honor to share the beautiful Saturday afternoon with you.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to share about you because you're tackling, of course, not just being a founder, but also tackling the digital health space, which is such an important need across Southeast Asia, from Singapore to Indonesia and beyond. So I am so excited to hear about your story. For those who don't know you yet, how would you introduce yourself professionally?
1: Uh, Well, Just a Singaporean software engineer and entrepreneur trying to live out the dream. And obviously the dream for me right now is to be able to touch as many lives as possible for us to be able to impact as many people around the region. And currently the focus is is on digital health. So being able to give millions of people in the region access to reliable health information, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's
0: amazing. And interesting because you've done a whole bunch of different roles. Obviously, you know, we both went to ACS back in school. <laughs> and then you went off to college to do information management for business at UCL. Yeah. So I guess the question is, have you always been interested in business and entrepreneurship for a while or how did you discover it?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, when I look back, it's kind of always there. I think what would help if is if I just kind of dial back a little bit to earlier days. I think it was, it was basically started with the mindset. So it's always a mindset thing. And when I was young, I was very blessed with parents who would always drill that mindset of ownership and the concept of bringing something to the table to me. So this kind of translated through school, whether it was being on the football team to like student council, to you know different extracurricular activities. It was always about how you can be useful and how you can bring something to the table. For example, for the football team, I managed to get captain but I wasn't the best player on the team. So it's like, how can you kind of bring value to them and make sure that you're useful and you're not bench all the time? So obviously I saw that maybe there's a gap in people actually trying to step up and be a leader, calling the shots here and there, tried to play that role and it kind of paid off. Similarly, we kind of formed a band when I, when I was young and someone competed with that. So it's like, how can you actually add value to that and try to win something from there and it kind of translates into everything as well. Like I competed in jiu-jitsu as well. When I think about it, it's the, it's the inherent concept of making sure that you're able to bring something to the table and be useful to society. And that comes a lot with working hard and being dedicated to something, working for it and just putting yourself out there. So that's, I think, how it started. And then the early forays, it's when I started with small business transactions here and there. You remember, we used to have those cards, like those Pokemon cards and WWE cards. I I had one of those, I think it was like five bucks back then. I pulled out The Undertaker. His finishing move was the last ride. It was holographic and everything. So I sleeved it up, brought it to school, played that hype, everyone's interested, and I managed to sell it for about 20 bucks. (laughs) at that time. So I'm like, hey, that's four more packs from me. The the interesting thing is about being able to create something, create value, create transactions, or or finding ways that you can circumvent the supply chain. That kind of transcribed into selling uh, Nokia ringtones. We used to have these Nokia phones. I found a way to actually download these ringtones onto my phone and distribute them. So it wasn't Bluetooth then, it was infrared. So you had to kind of put the phones close to each other before you can transfer something. But I found out it worked. So yeah, I managed to download Ringtones and people liked it. I think it was Outcast or something back in the day and people liked it. We just basically transferred it over and I, I sell it for about 50 cents a pop. So <laughs> I was bawling out then. <laughs> so that was my first few forays into that. It was interesting. It was thrilling. And then we fast forward. We go to when I further my education abroad, as you alluded to, in, in UCL in London. I think that was one aspect where I really got my first exposure into computer science. So through my degree, it was a mix between management and computer science. So that was when I fell in love with programming, really. I saw it as a way to be self-sufficient as an entrepreneur. I guess the analogy I always use is like, if I want to open a restaurant, I should know how to cook. So especially when you go into the tech world, basically I would love to have the skills to be able to run something and not rely on anyone. Especially when I first start out. When I got into programming, I fell in love with it. It It's a beautiful craft. I love the way, you know, you think about it, especially in first principles. And it really translates through life. And I think it was then that it really solidified for me that I was very interested in entrepreneurship. By that time, I had done internships. I had, you know, work experience here and there. So that was when it really solidified the idea of entrepreneurship to me. A lot of the university was learning about myself, who I am and who I want to be. I was quite lucky to have that lesson at an early stage. and, And that was when I knew I wanted to you know, be an entrepreneur. And that's when I started, well, not my first business, but my first, I guess, successful business, which was Made in Alpha, which is an agency. So we did design and development work for clients across different industries. So right here at this juncture, there's an interesting story that comes to mind. I haven't talked about it publicly. I could just drop it for the Jeremy R. Brave podcast, or we could move forward into just zooming into us, Doctor, which one do you want to hear?
0: You just got to drop us, otherwise we're going to be caught, kept in suspense, there you go. Look at you, just hyping it up, there you go. This is like you know, the card right now, you're just hyping it up. Okay, now you got you to yeah. deliver.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the exclusive for the Brave podcast, right? Interesting, I haven't told this publicly, I haven't talked about this publicly, but one of the first few things that we did when we started Made in Alpha was interesting, Is it's kind of that, it plays into that whole imposter syndrome role. When you get your first few gigs, it's a chicken and egg situation, right? So, we started this in, I think 2014. So it's my second year of university. Me and my, my partner back then, he was my batchmate mate in, in college. And we were always the kids who were like, I think the lessons are outside the classroom, not inside. So we're like, if we want to really learn programming and learn design, then let's go out there and actually get some jobs. So we got our first few gigs, you know, we told web restaurants like, hey, I think you need a new website, we'll build it for you. And this was in London. We got a few jobs. And then I think that there's the third one. It was the third one that we landed a big client Big brand in singapore actually we basically asked them what they are looking for they said they were looking for like a bespoke uh you know cms like content management system and a crm customer relationship management tool all bespoke has to be customized because that's why they're looking for a custom developer they can't find something off the shelf has to connect to their, their ui ux which has to be pretty as well a bunch of requirements Well, yeah sure that's exactly what we do we do that best so what we'll do is that we can draw up some wireframes for you. If you don't like it, then you don't have to pay us, but we can get started. We managed to clinch the deal. And when my partner and I, we walked out of the meeting, we just looked at each other and we were like, where the fuck do we start? We're like, we have no idea. We don't have the skills. We don't have the skills for, you know, to actually build that kind of system. We, we're just starting out. And we're like, how the hell do we start? And I think that was one of those experiences that I'll attributed as my master's, my master's degree, we were just forced to learn. Someone was paying us to do it. You have no other choice but to learn. And that really helped us grind and get the skills that we needed to be good at what we're doing. That was one of the big starts of the whole journey. And then after that, we were moving in to move the business back to Singapore. And we ran the company for about, if I'm not wrong, about four to five years. We always knew we wanted to work on products eventually, but services were a good way for us to get an idea of the landscape in Asia since we spent some time in London and also hone our skills really and learn how to run a profitable business. And then eventually the idea of Ask Doctor came about when it was sort of a personal problem that I had and that was basically finding consistent information online. What I found was that I was often reaching out to a physician friend of mine. His name is Dinesh, Dr. Dinesh Gunasekaran. He went to ACS with me as well and um, he became a physician. And I couldn't find a lot of the the answers that I was looking for online for my family or for myself. I had to constantly call him, give him 10 p.m. You know, night calls, he'll still pick up. A lot of people don't have that benefit of having a physician friend to channel their questions to. If you zoom out, how many circles actually have a physician friend? And then if you zoom out further into the macro, how many people actually have access to reliable health information? You know, we don't really choose where we're born. If we're born somewhere rural, in emerging countries, somewhere in the region, in Philippines or Indonesia, you may have actual physical limitations of access to a doctor. But what we do know is that internet adoption is picking up, and more people are connected to the internet through smartphones, Androids, iPhones, things like that. So why in the 21st century can't we connect to reliable health information? And that's really how it started. Amazing. So,
0: What is so bad about healthcare and healthcare access in Southeast Asia, right? And I'm just asking on behalf of everybody because I think for so many people who are listening to this across the world, Southeast Asia seems pretty advanced. Isn't healthcare good? And then, of course, there's a lot of people who think of Singapore as Southeast Asia as well and see that good healthcare access as well. So how would you describe what the gradient or spectrum of healthcare access or availability information is across countries, like obviously Singapore, but also like Indonesia, Vietnam, the Philippines,
1: Cambodia, Malaysia, and the like. Yeah, that's a good question. So I probably should clarify also what US Doctor is about. Um, essentially, just to really touch on on what US Doctor does, it's a health information platform, and the main mission here is to make reliable health information accessible to all. The way that we do that is by connecting the members of the public to verified doctors. And when we really studied this problem, what we were finding is not just inconsistent information, but there's also a lot of misinformation out there. And we have to be cognizant of the fact that we live in the 21st century where ease of information travel is its so accessible. I can send over something to you in, in a lightning speed and you get that information through things like social media, instant messaging. And so we have a lot of information. We've solved that part of it. being able to be connected with each other, being able to have transparent flow of information across the whole world. Then comes the issue of being able to filter out like quality information. And when it comes to your health, it becomes extremely detrimental. I'm sure you've been privy to some of these WhatsApp chain messages that were going around, I think last year. Stuff like, if you can hold your breath for 10 seconds in the morning, it acts as a diagnostic to if you have COVID-19 or not. You know, things like that, it can be very detrimental. Or even things like children are not susceptible to COVID-19. So this is really the, the, the problem that we're tackling. And if you look at even the World Health Organization, they coined this whole battle as the battle of an infodemic. So we have a pandemic battle that we're fighting, but now it's also a battle of an infodemic. And so what we're trying to do here right now is to be able to filter out, or rather try to put out reliable content and allow users to reach the verified sources, which we believe are the doctors themselves, and gain access to not just reliable, but also personalized health information from legitimate sources. That's so true,
0: right? Because I've been forwarded so much uh, rubbish information, and I think I benefit from, thankfully, having a lot of access to information. You know, like you said, I have doctors who are friends, and I'm able to have that. literacy rate as a, in terms of digital information where I'm like, okay, this is probably shady and this is probably a little bit more credible, depending. And I think, like you said, the pandemic really put everything on steroids. So I guess the question is, why is it that medical misinformation is so popular you know, because I see that all the time. I don't actually see too many get rich quick kind of stuff getting forwarded. But I actually see a lot of health adjacent stuff. There's videos and articles really just being shared and reshared. So what is it that makes it so
1: much more
0: I don't know compelling as something to be reshared?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think it's it's the two parts to this. The first part, it's more to the point of playing into people's fears. Because when you talk about health as something personal and it can affect you in a very direct way. When we look at a lot of misinformation, how they spread, sometimes it's not spread on purpose, but it's by the caretaker of the family, for example. It's usually the mother who wants to make sure that their whole family is healthy and getting the right information. When they come across certain pieces of content that may be misinformation or disinformation, they'll probably get fearful. They're like, we don't want this to affect my family, my kids, and things like that. So they start spreading it just to ensure that everyone is safe, but they don't know if that information is accurate or not. So I think, just to sum up the first point, is mainly because a lot of people sometimes, they just don't know any better and they they don't really do it on purpose. They're trying to spread it in a way from a good place with good intentions to help people. So I, th- I think that's one of the main things about why it, it spreads quite fast. The other aspect of it is the understanding of this information, it can be quite esoteric. And that's why we try to focus on personalized information. You have guidelines coming out by MOH on different COVID measures, but how does it apply to you? For example, what we're seeing now in Ask Doctor are questions about the COVID vaccine and how it might affect them because they have some allergies. It's not one size fit all where it's easy to understand and you can relate just based on the information related to yourself. It's something that becomes quite you know, important in how you actually digest the information And so with that kind of barrier to knowledge, it's quite easy to spread something when you don't have an accurate understanding of it. I think those are the main two points that that really feeds into why it spreads so fast.
0: I think the first part is so true. I think being scared for yourself, which is why you pay attention, but also being scared and caring for other people Mm. makes you forward that message. So I think that's where the health part comes in. Whereas the get-rich-quick stuff, you care about it sometimes, but it's not necessarily something that you need to forward either, right, to other people. So that's something I really understand. And the second part I think is also very true is like that relative consumption of it, right, which is that medical information, like you said, is so esoteric, so boring, <laughs> so hard to understand, so much jargon versus a quick video and a guy saying, if you do this kind of like energy waves you know, and crystals, you you know, kind of get the blow pass and get increased immunity versus COVID. Anyway, one is just much easier. Buy crystals, do these three moves in the morning equals protection versus the WHO jargon, which doesn't feel very assuring either, right? Right. I think the last element just brings some of views. I think there's also comfort because I think all the medical advice I find online is very achievable mm. um, because it's like, if you do this thing, you'll be safe. You'll be healthier. Mm. And I feel like so much medical stuff is just like, if you do this, the evidence suggests that here's some mouth positive effect on your immune system, which may lead to an improved effect on X, right? Right. And so it's so probabilistically weak as a claim, which is accurate, but it's not comforting. What do you think about that, the comfort piece?
1: That's also one of the issues of what we're seeing with platforms online who have been around for a while. You know, you Google something about your health and then everything points back to cancer. So I'm just Googling for like a a throat infection or something, like apparently you have cancer now, (laughs) you know? Half of it is obviously, you know, you have to be truthful to it. So everything that we look at, we we, we every content that we put out has to be evidence-based. has to be true. And we, what we want to do is really empower our users with the right health information so they know exactly what decisions they can make to stay informed. With access to this sort of information, you're able to get access to verified professionals who help allay a lot of fears that are out there that may be unnecessary. But... At the same time, it's kind of like a balance. It's also sometimes, in certain situations, it's finding out the right information and knowledge is power. With that knowledge, you'll be able to know like, okay, we've got to act now. There's something that we have to do. We have to probably reach out for treatment. So I think that there the are two aspects to it. There's definitely the comfort aspect. If you manage to actually find accurate information from a verified provider, then you are able to allay your fears. But on the other hand, you'll, you should also be able to be very real with yourself. And if certain things are getting serious, then you should know it's time to act.
0: When they are looking for this information, they're scared, and it's hard to tell who's right, who's wrong. So, how does your solution be better than Google? Because, like you said, you know, if I feel like my throat is scratchy and I'm trying to alleviate it, I googled it, right? Yeah. Covid pandemic, I definitely
1: googled it. Right. So, what would make me say like, okay, I want to use Ask Doctor instead? I think Google does a good job at connecting people to you know what they're looking for. What we find is that oftentimes we don't know where to look, alluding to what, the, what we were talking about earlier. Sometimes information is very esoteric, so you don't really know what it means and how it relates to yourself. So Google does a really good job of connecting you to the right source of information, but sometimes these sources are inaccurate or incomplete. What we're trying to do is to be able to put out enough information out there, and not just information, but accurate, quality healthcare, health information so that we can help to take steps to drown out uh, content that is inaccurate, incomplete, or just complete misinformation or disinformation. The main idea here is that you can connect with a verified provider, and you know the content that's being generated out there is by someone who is practicing a reliable source, a physician who either has a specialty or within the family medicine, but they have actual practice. At the end of the day, they're the foundation and the source of verifiable information. And what we're trying to do is just really connect them to that source instead of having them wonder, and try to figure out for themselves what is right and what is not. I think that's an important piece of the puzzle, really connecting them to the direct source of reliable health information. And if you look at it, it's, it's really quite a big market. One in 14 searches on Google are health searches. And it's, quite, it's pretty crazy. So that equates to about 70,000 health searches per minute. So there's a lot of people out there searching for health information. And they're looking for content that is accurate and it's reliable. And the fight here is to make sure that they don't end up in a source that is not true, that is disinformation, that is misinformation, and that they can land on something that is is reliable so they know exactly what to do and they can be equipped with the right information to make the right choices for their life. So... What else do
0: you think about because you know, you're just providing information right now? What does that expansion look like? Because you mentioned geographic expansion is definitely a key one. So how do you think about geographic expansion? And then later on, I'm going to ask you, how do you think about product extension? Because it's not just information, it's also other things you need to do. It's part of the healthcare and medical journey. But let's talk about the geographic expansion. How do you think about that?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a very, very good thought. I think for us... <laughs> To really realize our impact, you know, we have to move into the region. We have to move to places where we can really expand and, and scale up our impact. Because as you mentioned, as, uh, as you alluded to earlier, Singapore is known for having a good healthcare system and things like that. So what it does lend us is that it lends us that credibility because the medical system here is well known. It's widely regarded as a very good system. And we have very, very good doctors that are recognized all over the world. So it lends us that aspect and don't forget Ask Doctors is a two-sided marketplace, is a two-sided platform. So there's the supply side, which are the doctors, and the demand side, right, which are the consumers or the patients. When we started out, we wanted to deepen our focus here by building out our supply side and credibility on that front to make sure that what we have is reliable source of information that is of high quality. The next step of it, is, which is where we're at right now, is to how can we actually scale up our impact to more people who are in need of it? And That's how we kind of think about where to go next. If we're going to another country, emerging country, we look at how can we really scale impact? Do they really need our services? Would they really benefit from this? What's out there already for them? And if we are able to go and try to improve their lives, are we able to do that well for them? And if we are, then we look at that place and we think very, very seriously about it. And of course, a lot of it depends on product management concepts. So it's a lot about testing. That's what we, we do a lot in the company. So we run a lot of rapid experimentations and we try to create and structure a test to make sure that we can gauge the demand and test our hypothesis basically to see that if there's actual demand and there's actual want for a product like ours out there. Uh, that That's pretty much how we, we go about thinking about it. And I guess one thing to add, just jumping the gun to the next question about product expansion, is that we always remind ourselves that customers or users are loyal to the problem. They're not loyal to the solution. So if you think about it, you look at one problem, one problem an example problem I have right here is it's it's access to music. I really like music. I want to listen to music. But how do I do that? So previously you had cassettes and load one up. You can play something. And then you had the evolution to Walkman's. I was like, oh, super cool. Now I have a CD. I can plug it in. It's portable. I can bring it anywhere. And I have like 10 or 12 songs to listen to. How cool is that? But if you think the customers are going to be loyal to that solution as the Walkman, and as an investor in Walkman and stuff like that, obviously, time has told us that it went very wrong because a new invention came up. It was something that you could put into your pocket and it contained thousands of songs. And you could listen to it anytime, anywhere. Uh, and that was the iPod. So that really reinforces our belief that customers are loyal to the problem and not the solution. And what we have to be really good at is knowing what problem we're solving and continuously iterate and improve how we're able to deliver our services. So the main mission here, again, is always to make reliable health information accessible to all. The product might change, but we have to be true to that mission. And that's how we basically start thinking about expansion in terms of product or even in terms of uh, regional expansion.
0: I love the phrase, loyal to the problem, not solution. And we had to be careful not to suck ourselves that we ourselves are the be-all and end-all solution when Google exists, <laughs> when WhatsApp exists, <laughs> when my friends uh, and my mom's advice exists in this situation, right? So when you think about being loyal to the problem, what's the problem here? Is the problem like, I want to get well? Or is the problem like, I'm scared? Or is the problem like, I have no idea what's going on? How would you define the problem from your perspective
1: currently? Yeah, sure. So I mean, the problem here is, is quite clear for you know for the consumers. It's really being able to access personalized, reliable, and legitimate health information. So there were studies put out that surveyed a bunch of people and 90% of participants were not able to consistently differentiate reliable from unreliable sources of information. Again, it's very hard to, we have we live in an information age. Again, access to information is so easy with instant messaging, with social media, but how do we make sense of it? And how do we make sense of it to ourselves, especially when it's something as important as health? So. How do we solve someone looking for personalized information that is reliable and that is consistent? And that's what we're really trying to work on and what we're trying to solve. The way that we started was by launching forums with a Q&A module. So on our platform, you have different spaces. So what we call them spaces, but essentially each space is a condition-based microforum. So we started out with a dedicated module for COVID-19. We launched late February last year and um, a catch-all, which is general health and dentistry, which are the popular ones. Those are ways that we thought, uh, and, and the idea was that if we're able to solve this problem, then let's let people access verified providers directly. And in these forums, they're able to ask personalized questions, whether how something affects them. If you want to make it more personalized, you can upload a picture, that's fine. Or if not, you could just browse and read and find questions that you never thought of asking and learn more about the condition itself. So that's how we started out, tackling the problem. And then, you know, we've extended into long-form editorials, events, and things like that with the core mission at heart.
0: So true. And one interesting part about it, of course, is that the opportunity as you grow regionally is that we are crossing the language boundaries because there's so much good information in English. But as you go the countries like Indonesia, Bahasa is different in Indonesia versus Malaysia. Is that Vietnamese is totally different as well. So I think it feels like there's a lot of different parts of the internet that doesn't have the content that's needed for that legit information. How do you think about the localization extent that you're trying to build out?
1: I was just having this conversation last night, actually, with one of our advisors. (laughs) It's an interesting one, and I think it's a very important piece of the puzzle to solve as well. What we do know is that we're building up a knowledge base, a repository of health knowledge that's reliable. And the next challenge, which is what you're alluding to, is how do we actually give more people access to it in terms of their understanding, which is through language? A lot of times, what we try to focus on is leveraging help from the community. And that's one thing we're starting to explore. So you've seen a uptake on like crowdsourcing, crowdfunding and things like that, but a lot of it is community-based. What we do in Ask Doctors is to follow what the community says. We basically eat feedback for breakfast. We love feedback, we ask for lots of feedback, and we use that to really direct our product roadmap. It's a powerful effect because what we're building is not something just for ourselves, but we're, we're building it for people who actually use it. And that's very motivating to us. And so we want to hear what they have to say and what they want you know, to build. That effect can be translated into amplifying our efforts in helping out for a cause, like giving people access to reliable health information. I don't think we can do it alone. And when we localizing, we're inclined to a direction where we're able to leverage the community's help in each place. Yeah, that's amazing. So exciting to wrap up here, but just kind of curious,
0: could you share with us of a time that you had overcome challenges and choose to be
1: brave? Yeah, many challenges to choose from. <laughs> I suppose a lot of the challenges was innate, right? Like learning about myself, who I am, who I intend to be. So a lot of that was introspecting and being very comfortable with myself. And then one of the big hurdles that I found, especially that that is more domain specific, was coming up to speed with how the medical industry works. It's very, 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 it's a very steep learning curve. And it takes people years to understand, but I was very, very blessed that that I was able to surround myself with amazing people who are genuine and and wanting to learn and wanting to grow and and willing to help. Obviously, my partner, he's a doctor himself, so that was a good way for me to learn about the medical industry. But we managed to surround ourselves with with, um, advisors from the industry and also from outside who understand the medical industry, and that really helped us get up to speed with it. So, I mean, one of the most important things for us that I took away from this was always being able to surround ourselves with good advisors, good people, because uh, it brings you a long way. And it's not something that you do as a one-off, like, you know, I, I go, I consult someone and seek someone's advice once or twice and it's done. It's a continuous thing. It's, it's something that should be going on all the time because it's a continuous learning journey. And it's very, very counterintuitive, especially in the Asian culture is how we're brought up. We're not very inclined to ask questions or reach out. Like if you remember when you are in school, if you ask a stupid question, like everyone just scoffs at you, right? No one does that in, in, in Asia. That might be a hyperbole, but you see the point. Like, we don't really like to go out there, put our hands up, ask a question. We don't know how we're going to sound. We might sound stupid and we don't like that. Conversely, with my experience in Western education system in London, everyone is asking questions. Like, everyone is trying to, doesn't matter what question it is, doesn't matter how it sounds, but they want to understand. And I saw that that was a very, very powerful effect. And that was actually corroborated recently by an interview that I saw of Steve Jobs, one of the old ones, and he was talking about reaching out and asking for help. He was saying that when he was 12 years old, he called up the founder of Healer Packet and asked him to get him some spare parts because he wanted to build a PC. And he actually got it, and he got a job from that. And if I could tie that into my experience as well, I could draw a parallel to the time I had with Accelerating Asia. So us Doctor was one of the, was in cohort three or four. Oh, they're going to hate me for this. One of the cohorts <laughs> in Accelerating Asia, which is an accelerator here. And one thing that they really focus on and and drill down on is basically ask. What are your ask? Always have an ask. So we do have this monthly update that we send out to our stakeholders and people who are interested. And we always start with looking for, what are we looking for? And it's about reaching out and being able to be vulnerable enough to ask for help. Uh, And that was the way that I overcame trying to understand the whole medical industry, because if I don't understand it, I can't operate in it.
0: Wow, that's actually really deep here, because I think you're talking about something that's very difficult thing to do, which is, they like, said, asking questions. Feels like basically saying, I'm stupid, <laughs> <You know? laughs> educate me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's vulnerable. <laughs> I'm incompetent. <you> know? <laughs> uh, I don't know. You didn't
1: do your homework last night? You didn't know?
0: <laughs> but yeah, you did. Huh? How do you... Why do you ask a question? Yeah? Shouldn't you know the answer? Yeah, why do you ask that? Why you ask? We talked about that in the last class. Yeah, we talked about it a long time ago, right? You forgot, is it? You know? Stand outside. You're smart, right? You're so smart, you should know what. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think the worst part is I think you hear as a kid. I think one thing I noticed as I grew older is that sometimes I still hear that voice. Yeah. uh, The ghost of that voice and talking to myself, right? (laughs) It's crazy, right?
1: That was one of the feedback I still got. Like I was talking to, so this guy, uh, he's a, he helps to run uh, Accelerating Asia. His name is Nash. Uh, He's an entrepreneur in residence. And he's amazing with these kind of things. And he's like, you know, Brian, like, It's really good that you're able to put yourself out there, but you still have that part of you that holds you back. (laughs) And I think it just attributes to this, like the upbringing and things like that. But uh, it's just about being cognizant and aware of it. I think as long as we're aware of these kind of things, then we're able to work on it. If we're not aware at all, then that's a problem.
0: Yeah, so true. I remember army days, you know, I'll ask a question like, should we go left or whatever, you know? And then the instructor would be like, well, we should go left. And then, I don't know, buy chicken rice and then do 20 squats and then buy the couple, color purple. And he stares at me and he'll be like, yeah, you know, such a stupid question. Stupid questions get stupid answers. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? I've, I've, I don't know. And then, you know, the worst part was like, obviously, I didn't get my answer. <laughs> so, I don't, you know, I didn't get trained by that instructor very well, obviously. And then secondly, I got scared to ask questions, which made me perform worse, I think, over time. Yeah. And then thirdly, I think the worst thing is that, yeah, I definitely carried that attitude for a long time where I would hold back, right? Yeah. And try to ask, Ask smart questions. Ask good
1: questions, right? Mm. And the truth
0: is, you, you can't walk around thinking that you get judged for the question because if you do that, you can never ask a good question
1: at all because mm. you just lock up. Yeah, I no, I completely agree. Yeah, but I think it's seriously a good... Um, if, I mean, whoever listens, whoever's listening, I think this targeted to founders as well, this podcast. Whoever's listening to this, I think one of the biggest things that that I would really want to spread is being able to reach out for help and not keep it within. I think everyone knows, especially as you would know as well, starting your own company prior, it can be quite a lonely journey, right? So you don't want to just keep it in. You want to make sure you can find help, surround yourself with good people. And I've honestly found it to be one of my favorite parts of the job, being able to work on a solution and I'm getting stuck. I get access to people. Like If I ask for help, they're willing to help. So I get access to the like experts in their field and be able to pick their brain. That's one of the most you know, fun parts of being a founder and part of the job. That
0: I like. Amazing. I love what you just did, which was you took something very scary mm. and you articulated how it's actually a benefit and an asset and fun, especially when you're a founder, which is something I think people look at it as the, the fear, but I think you already articulated well the, you could say benefits, but also the emotions of getting help, which is amazing. Well, uh wrapping things up here, Brian, you know, thank you so much for coming to the show. The three big teams that I saw and I wrote down here is, you know, firstly, you know, thank you so much for sharing your founder journey from selling those trading cards <laughs> and getting a little profit as well as selling those ringtones. I yeah, definitely exactly. understand what outcast song you're talking about is probably hey yeah. <laughs> exactly, right. Exactly. <laughs> you
1: <know?
0: laughs> so, so you're probably responsible for that epidemic of uh <laughs> hey, yeah. you know, ringtones. (laughs) I'm redeeming myself now with Uh. us, Doctor. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. It's okay. You brought some joy. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm, sure, yeah, I'm sure the teacher saw it as a massive yeah. <laughs> disinformation slash attacks uh, auditory-wise. But it's just an amazing part to hear your founder journey from there. Nice seeing that arc from there to your first founder journey. And then eventually going on to found Ask Doctor through the network. So that was really good. I think second one, thank you so much for sharing a lot of the technical advice around being a founder. Uh, for example, talking about how customers are really fundamentally loyal to the problem, not solution. Mm. That's a brilliant phrase because it's such a common thing where we spend so much time building a product and we want to be loved. Mm. (laughs) And we forget that, you know, at the end of the day, it's still loyal to the problem. And I think we also got to talk a lot about the dynamics around the health information crisis uh, that we saw accelerated by the pandemic. And I think we got to go deeper into why it's attractive and compelling to spread unreliable or unsourced news versus more credible slash peer reviewed items so thank you so much for that and lastly of course thank you so much for uh, really sharing your bravery and advice to founders to really be brave and asking questions i too resonate with that problem of being scared <laughs> to ask questions in fear of looking dumb and i really thought that i was very brave of you not only to obviously ask questions but also brave of you to share that that's something that you have struggled with in the past and is something that you're still working on today. And I think that's such good advice because, I mean, my point of view is like, hey, you know, if we're a founder, we are trying to solve something that has never been solved before at right. this time. And so if there's a time to ask questions, now is the time, right? Because no one has the answers, right? You know? <laughs> that's great. So ask away, right? You know? yeah. yeah. So Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: That was a really good summary. Thanks for having me as well. Appreciate the time.
0: Thank you. For listening to Brave, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyow.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave.